is uh, Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. Or, it's a very flexible word, abridgment? Probably, probably refers to a staircase set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said... I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall... He, he's basically reiterating all of the promises that were made to Abraham. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than Bethel, none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place, house of God, Bethel. But the city, the name of the city, at least the city that this takes place in outside of it, at first was Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And, and all of that you give me... Uh, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. The year 1991 marked the 20th anniversary release of the greatest Led Zeppelin song of all time. They calculated that in the 20 years or so, Stairway to Heaven had played on public radio around the world 2.8 million times. If you were to take the eight-minute song and play it on continuous loop, so you, you constantly were playing it, that would stretch out for 44 years of Robert Plant <laughs> singing about the stairway to heaven, which if you're a Led Zeppelin fan, you could do worse than that. <laughs> you can do worse than that. Uh, there's a lady who knows all that glitters is gold, and she's buying a stairway to heaven. It's this, there was an interview with Robert Plant years ago, and they asked him, what, what does Stairway to Heaven mean? And he answered the interviewer and said, it means nothing. Basically, it means whatever you want it to mean. 
I don't know about you, but when I, that's not the first time I've heard an artist say that, and I find it very frustrating, because surely your artistry is, it means something. Like, you're too good of an artist to just throw gibberish down on the, on the paper. So you push back against him, and then he says, well, yeah, it, it does mean something. I, I was feeling pretty cynical one day, and I thought about a woman who could buy, she was filthy rich, and she could buy whatever she wants. Shoes, clothes, cars, anything she wants. Even if the stores are all closed, she can buy anything she wants, and maybe she can buy a stairway to heaven. And it's interesting how history repeats itself. Because that's what was going on in the days of the Reformation. Pope Leo X, he was very busily engaged in building St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And he didn't want to spend all of the papal coffers on all of his money on that construction project. And so what he did is he issued what was called a Jubilee Indulgence. And an indulgence is a certificate of paper, the purchaser of which gets all of their temporal sins, the punishment for their temporal sins remitted. Effectively, it, it allows you to bypass purgatory. So Pope Leo offers this jubilee indulgence, and he sends out preachers into the, into the cities, and they, they say, this is you can purchase this for yourself, or you can purchase this for a family member. You can even purchase this for a deceased family member who is presently suffering in purgatory, and voila! Sounds eerily sim- similar to Led Zeppelin, doesn't it? You just buy yourself a stairway to heaven. Stairways to heaven are a complete misunderstanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, some people's, some people's heaven that they construct a stairway to is a mighty, poor heaven that really isn't a heaven at all. Number two, some people's staircase leading to heaven is a mighty short staircase that can never get them there. And number three, the, the staircase to heaven is actually not a staircase to heaven. I'll get to that in, in just a minute. Number one, a staircase to a non-heaven. I was sitting in bed on Thursday night, and Aaron, well, we like to read in bed together. Uh, it's probably the most relaxing time of the day for us because we lock our door. <laughs> We make sure nobody comes and, and bothers us. But we're sitting there reading, and she's, she's got a magazine out, and she says, Brad, you've got to, really ought to look at this article. It's a story about AIDS orphans. Yeah, an 11-year-old boy, his father dies of AIDS in Kenya. Um, he has a 13-year-old sister, a 5-year-old younger brother. Father dies, mother deserts the family, And so what are they left with? A 13-year-old, 11-year-old, and 5-year-old living in the home all by themselves. Like, how do they, how do you survive at 13 and 11 and 5 with no extended family, all there, they're all alone? And he said, here's how we survived. We sold plastic bags of water on the streets 
to make enough money to buy food. That's how we eked out of survival. Several years into this, some Christian missionaries partner with a local pastor, and they, they create a children's home, effectively an orphanage. This orphanage brings the little boy and his sister and brother into it. And he, said, he said, when I walked through the door that first time, um, I was walking into heaven. I mean, three meals, a bed, not squalid living conditions, but three meals and somebody else was providing the food and I wasn't having to walk out and sell bags of plastic water on the streets. He said, that orphanage was heaven. Now we read that and we're like, no, 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 no. Orphanages are never heaven. (laughs) Orphanages are always a stepping stone to what might be considered a heaven. You know, a stable family, a father who loves you, who adopts you, a father who goes out and and gets food for you, security, warmth, health, that's heaven. But you and I, we know a lot of people who think that their orphanage is a heaven. Um, You know, the very first stairway to heaven were, were the ancient temples, the ziggurats, I know that's a strange word, ziggurat, but if you remember back to your beginning of Western civilization classes, the ziggurat was your stair-stepped temple. It was, you had the, the square base, and then you had a square stacked on top of a square, each progressively smaller. What happens when you look at a ziggurat from a distance, when you see the outline of a ziggurat? It's, it's a stairway. It was the first stairway to heaven. And the whole idea was that the priest would ascend to the top of of the ziggurat, and there he would meet with the gods. There he would offer some kind of sacrifice, be it an animal sacrifice or a human sacrifice. But there, there he, and the top of the ziggurat was a heavenly uh, orphanage. There's millions of people in the world today who believe that they have been on this earth before as polar bears or crickets or even as Roman emperors. And they are trying to reach a state of nirvana where by your seventh iteration of reincarnation, you started as a fruit fly and you've made it all the way up to a house pet and then you become a human and then you live a, a, a... a great satisfactory life so that you can have your own personal consciousness washed away in in the ocean of oneness. And there's millions of people who are living for that kind of heaven. So we would say that that some religions offer you a mystical heaven. So you you have a three-step staircase of heaven in, in Hinduism, samsara, karma, Nirvana. You have an eight-step staircase in Buddhism, the eight, eightfold, um, the eight noble paths, uh, truths of Buddhism. But, but in every one of them, heaven is basically a greater state of personal spiritual enlightenment. And what the Bible would say to that, to, to that person is, you're settling for a heaven that's far too poor. Like the real thing is, is so much better. Your staircase is a staircase to a non-heaven. Number two. 
Some people have built a staircase to a heaven that is a, a staircase that's way too short. I was reading this article. This, here's how it goes. Linda's youngest child, Jessica, was born in 1985. When, when Jessica was a toddler, Whitney Houston's number one hit song declared that the greatest love of all was loving yourself. Right? Um, Jessica's elementary school teachers believed that the most important job they had was helping Jessica feel good about herself. Jessica scribbled in a coloring book called We Are All Special. She got a sticker on her worksheet for just filling out the worksheet. Uh, she did a sixth grade project called All About Me. I know none of you can relate to, <laughs> to this, but when she wondered how, to, how she should act on her first date, her mother told her, just be yourself. Eventually, being herself meant um, you know, getting her lower lip pierced and getting a tattoo on her lower back because she wanted to express herself. She, she dreamt of being a model or a singer, even though she's pretty average in terms of uh, her voice and, and her looks. You have to love yourself before you can love someone else, she says. This is the me generation, or the, the selfie generation, focused entirely on uh, the individual. What you find uh, with the so-called me generation is it's a generation that really can't take criticism very well. Because if... Uh, if you're so focused on yourself, then criticism is going to be absolutely devastating to you. And if you talk to a teacher, and a teacher gives like a 75 on your math test, a professor gives a 75 on a quiz, their inbox is being blown up the very next day as students will email and say, the problem is with you. That, that quiz wasn't fair. You, you taught us things. It's not fair. We, we can't take any form of criticism. Um, you end up greatly overestimating your own abilities and, and your own moral goodness. You discover you're not nearly as good as you think you are. Um, some people have built a staircase, have tried to build a staircase to the moon. And the moon happens to be 239,000 miles above. And... And they've been taught from the earliest days of their life that they can do anything, <laughs> right? With just enough hard work and effort, I can do anything. And what's ended up happening is they've greatly overestimated their own strength and their power and ability. Now, the good news is what we find here in Genesis chapter 28. I've got to give you the immediate prior section to this in order to understand the passage. In effect, in Genesis chapter 20, I think it's 26, Jacob's brother Esau has lied, just lied to him. He had taken a solemn oath to God that he would give to his brother Jacob all of his birthright, all of the inheritance, or the primary you know, amount of the inheritance that, that he, he was due. It's yours, Jacob. 
only to find out when the time comes for the birthright to be distributed and the blessing to be given, Esau tries to pursue it himself. And the mother, Rebecca, finds out about this, and she hatches up some kind of plot or scheme, and we read the scheme of Rebecca, and we think, oh, that was really dirty, rotten of you to to come up with the scheme. But in, in reality, Rebecca was trying to keep Isaac from committing a grave sin, which was to, to give the birthright to someone that God had not designed it to go to. So Esau, or Jacob dresses up as Esau, and he tricks Isaac, and he, he receives the, the birthright. And Esau finds out about this, and he's furious, and he's going to kill his brother Jacob. And so Jacob is forced to flee away from his family, or away from his, his, his home. And here he is in verse 10. Uh, he, he's fleeing. And he's lost everything. He comes to this city called Luz. And there's not a single person who will show him good Middle Eastern hospitality. So he walks out of the city gates. And what does he do? He lays down on the ground. And to give you an idea of just how pathetic Jacob's life is right now, the author tells you that all he had to sleep on was a stone for a pillow. Like, you know you've lost pretty much everything if all you have left, your, your only possession in life, is a stone for a pillow. And so there it is that God comes and finds him. God meets Jacob when Jacob is least expecting it. And you notice that God meets Jacob here, and Jacob has not asked God anything. He hasn't prayed a single word and yet God, it's almost as if God is drawn to his brokenness and his loneliness. And he, he tracks Jacob down. And if I could boil the message of Christianity uh, down into one sentence, it is this sentence right here. That Christianity is not a staircase to heaven. It is a staircase to earth. It is God coming down from heaven to earth to meet weak and desperate people like you and me. Like, there would be no good news if the news was that you have to climb a stairway to heaven because you would never reach it, or if you did reach it, it would be such an inferior heaven that it wouldn't be even worth going there. But Christianity, if you know nothing about it, know this, that it is a stairway to earth where Jesus Christ comes to meet you there. So that's number three. A stairway to earth is the only kind of staircase that will ever do you any good. If you, we talked a lot already in this service about the Word of God. If you are not, if you haven't read the Bible much, or not very familiar with it, the Bible, the first three quarters of it is, is broken up to the Old Testament. And then the last quarter is the New Testament. And at the beginning of the New Testament, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It, if you're new to the Bible, what I would recommend is that you start with the Gospel of John. Just read the Gospel of John uh, from beginning to end. At the beginning of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, you have this scene where Jesus is drawing new disciples, new followers to him. And John chapter 1, verse 42, one of the guys 
tells a friend about Jesus. Oh, well, come here, come here, come here. We think we found the promised Messiah or uh, the Christ, which is another word for Messiah, or the King. Uh, we think we've found him. Um, you've got to come and see this. And so these guys go and they meet Jesus and they're amazed by Jesus. Wow. So they go and they tell another friend. Philip goes and tells Nathaniel, verse 45. Philip went and found Nathaniel and told him, We found the, the one Moses wrote about in the law and the one that the prophets, the law and the prophets testified to. Yeah, it's this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel, he scoffs. Oh, Nazareth. What, what good could possibly come from a hick town like Nazareth? You can't, no way. Um, and, and Philip says, well, just come and see. So Nathaniel comes and sees, and he has about 30 seconds worth of conversation with Jesus. And, and he's like, I think there's something here. I think that this might really be true. Like after 30 seconds. And so Jesus says to Nathaniel, no way, you, you believe after 30 seconds? Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because what you will see before all of this is done is you will see heaven opened up and the angels ascending and descending on top of the Son of Man. On top of me. See, that's Jacob's ladder. That's the staircase from heaven. It's what, it's what this whole passage points to. You've got God at the very top. You've got the angels going up and down in an escalator. And, and in, in Genesis chapter 28, what's at the bottom? Nothing but a piece of grass and a few rocks. And Jacob's like, oh, but this, God's got to be here. This, there's got to be some spiritual presence of God. And it, it was strong enough that he says, this is the house of God. This is Bethel. And God's like, but you haven't. Uh, wait till you see this. Um, I'm really going to come down the ladder. <laughs> I'm really going to walk down the staircase. And at the bottom of the staircase, the one who has descended is Jesus Christ. So what you have to understand is that Jesus is the one that has, that has come down um, from heaven. You know, a lot of people think that the way God saves us is he throws a rope out into the water while we're there uh, drowning or he throws a life preserver, and we grab hold of it. We start to pull ourselves a little bit, and he's pulling, and we're pulling, and we're kicking our legs just a little bit, and we're making our way back to the boat. But the, but the reality is, the way God saves us is, is much more like a rescue diver. If you ever watch a rescue diver in action, when, when that guy goes into the water, and he tries to you know, to take the drowning person, usually the drowning person is so scared and frightened, they resist him. You know, they fight back. And the rescue diver himself is in danger because this person is, is fighting back with him. So what a rescue diver does is, at that moment, they clock him on the head and knock him out cold. And then they carry him back to the boat. See, the essence of the Christian gospel is that you'll never, ever get up that ladder on your own. But there is somebody who has decided that he will carry you there if you want to. 
Uh, he died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. He was buried in the ground, raised, raised back to life on the third day. And if you're a Christian, you should hear in all of this latter language hints of the ascension, shouldn't you? Because 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. And the whole point of the ascension is that, is that we would not be saved if there wasn't an ascension into heaven. But what he did is he carried us in his arms up there so that right now, Paul says, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That, the only way that that could be true is if, if he took you there himself. And so he has. Why is it so hard for us to believe that the only way to make it to the top is to be carried? Well, you know, um, nobody has a hard time believing that you can't walk to the, to the moon. I mean, even if you donned a spacesuit and had a suitable supply of oxygen, you should know that you can't do 230,000 miles. Because you, I mean, we can look up and we can see the moon. But you can't look up and see God. And as a result, you can't, you can't really appreciate how holy, how righteous, how pure, how his, his whole presence is, is complete purity. And so you think you can get there. No, the only way to get there is to reach a point of humility and brokenness where you realize that you cannot save yourself uh, and you have to be carried up. So that's... That's my message to you if you're not a Christian or you're, you're learning new things, new pieces of information about Christianity. <clears throat> the last thing I, I want to say is to the majority of you, my Christian brothers and sisters, and that is, don't be ashamed. To, do not be ashamed or afraid of, of sharing this message with others. I mean, it's the only good news, the only, like, cosmically good news that's out there. Don't be ashamed. I mean, I, and I would consider myself one of the worst at sharing the message of the gospel with, with other people. But this week, I happened to come across encouragement in one of the most unlikely places at the end of the World Series, if you... <laughs> Did you watch the, the, did you stay up to watch the end of the World Series where they did the MVP award ceremony? So Madison Bumgarner was the San Francisco Giants pitcher who was completely unhittable throughout the series. He pitched two and a half games without giving up a single run. And so he's the unanimous MVP. Well, when it comes time to do the award ceremony, uh, Chevrolet is the sponsor of the award. And somebody in the General Motors PR department had this great idea. You know, why not, instead of sending uh, a higher-level executive spokesperson, why don't we send um, an average Joe, a lifelong Kansas City Royals fan who probably operates a dealership somewhere in town? Because wouldn't it be great if once the Royals win the World Series, you got this just average guy who's going to make the trophy presentation? Well, it was an absolute disaster. <laughs> If you, if you watched it or if you saw it on YouTube, it was the most awkward award ceremony you have, you've ever seen. When Aaron Andrews, the Fox Sports announcer, introduces this guy, 
by, by the moment of the introduction, he is sweating like he just walked out of a sauna. He is sweating bullets. And he, he's got his little cue card, and he's, it's trembling. And the very first sentence out of his mouth is breathless because he's, 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 he's about to have a heart attack. And he says, um, um, we at Chevrolet have been, been, we've, we've been proud of the latest and greatest technology in our, in our truck lineup. Um, because he's presenting to Madison Bumgarner a new Chevy truck. Uh, it, it combines the um, class-winning and leading, you know, um, technology and stuff with... <laughs> <laughs> Absolute disaster. And within minutes, you know it's trending on Twitter. Twitter. You've got hashtag technology and stuff. The same guys in the PR department who, who thought this would be a good idea were the same guys who seized the moment. And, it, and so immediately you see GM putting out all kinds of things like Chevy trucks, technology and stuff. <laughs> and everybody loves it. It's great. They did a Twitter poll. 80% of respondents said that this guy ought to have his own commercial for, as, he, as he delivers... He's the spokesperson for, for, he's the Chevy truck guy. Type it into Google. Chevy truck guy, Rick Wild. Um, it's hilarious. And I think, friends, that God has that same sense of humor. Like when we totally uh, fumble and stumble and bumble our way into telling somebody the good news of the gospel, I mean, he just laughs and he can make it work. He does make it work. I mean, when was the last time you told somebody the good news um, that their greatest need in this life has been supplied for them in a stairway from heaven to earth? I don't even want to answer that question because it's so painful. We have the greatest news to share with with this world. Uh, the gate of heaven, it's open from the inside. It's opened by the king of heaven who decides to walk out the gate and to start to climb down the ladder, start to walk down the staircase as he descends all the way to earth, all the way under the earth, as Brian talked about in Sunday school a, a week ago. Um, and that you, you can't climb to the top, but you don't need to try. Because the Son of God has climbed down for you, He can carry you all the way home. I would, I just challenge you to begin to say that. If you have not said that to somebody in a very long time, begin to say that. Amen. <laughs>